0: gar oh, nicht bei Stück. Welcome to the final week of Country Strong. Some of you are rejoicing about that, and some of you are sad about that. But I want to go at this. See, the song, My Church, was one of the first songs. Well, it was the first song that when we were pressing into this kind of a series, it got put there first. If you don't know much about the song, it won the Grammy for the best country song this year. Uh, That's because we scheduled it. So if you don't know, like, how'd that happen? Uh, But this song... One, I like it. It's, it's also, it kind of bridges, some, some of you are like, that's not country. It's, it bridges some of the, the gaps. But, but I love what the song is about because it raises a conversation that you and I ought to have. And so if you're unfamiliar with the song, let me show you some of the lyrics to tell you why we're doing this. When Hank brings the sermon and Cash leads the choir, some of you are like, that sounds perfect. That's like the perfect church, right? It gets my cold, cold heart burning hotter than a ring of fire. See what she did there? Something like, I don't understand. Uh, anyways, when this wonderful world gets heavy and, and I need to find my escape, I just keep the wheels rolling, radio scrolling until my sins wash away. Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? feels like the Holy Ghost running through you. When I play the Highway FM, I find my soul revival singing every single verse. Yeah, I guess that's my church. I love the sound of the song, but it's that part that got my mind turning. That's my church. That's my church. See, I, I know something about you because I'm the same way. And in fact, I've yet to meet someone who doesn't have an opinion about church. Sometimes they're favorable, sometimes they're not. So I want you to bring that opinion, that idea of church. If I brought in front of you and all right, we're having an English project right now and that's my church. If you were to write a paragraph about what you think church is, what would you say? What is church to you? Now, I'm going to give you the right for this opinion time. Now, don't say it out loud because the person next to you might totally disagree with you. And there might be a fight in church. And that's weird. So what is church to you? Yes, I'm allowing you for a little bit to just at free will have some opinions and ideas and thoughts. What is church to you? If you wrote it out, talked about it, what would you put? I think many of us would come up with different lists. I think our paragraphs would look different. In fact, I know that'd be a fact because when you look across just our nation, oh my, there's all different kinds of churches. There's different kinds of songs and different kinds of what people wear. And and so let me bring you up to speed if you don't know current church culture. There is something called the cowboy church. Now, I know some of you are like, you've heard of it. We're, we live in South Dakota. This is not a new thing. My favorite part about this particular cowboy church is where yeehaw meets amen. That, I don't relate, but I think it's funny and it fits perfectly. If you've ever been to cowboy church, no, it's not just local. It's, it's all over. And there's a bit of a, of a feel at cowboy church. If you aren't wearing cowboy boots People see you and it's weird. Uh, it, and some of you are like, "This is what is in your dreams." Some of you didn't know this existed. And you're like, "Where is it? You're gonna have to go Google it and find it yourself." But cowboy church, listen, it's church. So if you're like, oh, "I don't get it," Here, here's another one: biker church, which I like motorcycles. So uh, this is Freedom Biker Church. Freedom Biker Church. There's one in town, and but they're all over the nation. That they have a bit of a feel. Just a different feel. Instead of cowboy boots, there's, there's a lot of other kinds of leather. And, and, and there's patches. And, and it just is, is put together differently and looks different. But it's still a very specific looking group of people with a specific feel. Biker church is church. Now, some of us didn't grow up around biker church or cowboy church. We grew up around what we'll just call traditional church. It's where there's stained glass windows that are absolutely beautiful. And in fact, if you're like me, I grew up in rural areas, Indiana and Kansas, and these are everywhere. And, and when I even see them in person, it just brings back all of these memories and nostalgia. I love to go inside of these buildings. It just is rich. In fact, some of us are like, yeah, I, I, that's when church was, was pure, when, when they had a steeple. Because that's, that's what God wants is steeples. That's when he shows up at church buildings. You got to have a steeple because you, then you open up the doors and you see all the people. And you, <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. You're like, there's even songs about this, right? And not only is there a steeple, but there's a cross on the steeple, which, which is like just right. And then you're thinking, I bet that's what, what the original church had. Nope, but that's fine. And, and this is when I say, what is church to you? This may be what's in your brain, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's something like the east location. That for many of us would say, it doesn't look like a church, David. In fact, David, where is the steeple? Have we just not put the steeple up yet? And, and, and where's, where's the cross? Doesn't it have to have a cross? And, and by the way, our church always has a cross every weekend. It's tattooed on my arms. So we always have a cross. So I know some of us are like, can you have church and, and, and there not be a cross and a steeple. And, and I could tell you, this, this is cool, you may not know this, you may not know this. Uh, last weekend was the one year anniversary of the East location. It's one year old, yeah, yeah. And 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 folks, I I get asked. This is probably has to be one of the top five questions, I guess. Maybe even top two. Uh, how's how's that East location thing going? Well, I can tell you. Over 800 people gather on a weekend at East location, and they hear this message. What's up, East? How you doing? And and they hear this, and and they're Fountain Springers, and they're learning about Jesus, and and. Over 60 have been baptized. Over 50 have given their lives to Jesus. Over 270 people have walked into church for the very first time. There's no steeple. That will mess with some of you. Like, how does God use that? Well, then let's just deconstruct all of our perspectives of what church is. Let me show you our prison location. There's no steeple, there's no cross. But typically, there's a packed room full of fellas wearing orange, singing their hearts out, learning about Jesus. And in fact, if I can remember the report correctly, I believe last weekend, four inmates gave their lives to Jesus in a building that is owned by the government. So when I ask you, what's church to you? Perhaps you and I have an opinion about church that we shouldn't have. Maybe our version of church is wrapped up in our preferences. And I would tell you that's dangerous territory. You can have preferences. I have preferences. You do too. But when your preferences begin to rule your life, back up a little bit. And so I want to bring us all into the same page. So one of it is we need to go back to the roots. You may not know what church was originally supposed to be. Some of you are like, well, I know a judgmental group of people. No, no, that's not what it was supposed to be. See, some of you are like, I wasn't thinking buildings. I was thinking mean people. And and, and so I want you to know at the beginning, before you and I had the opportunity to maybe mess it up and make it about ourselves, At the beginning, at the beginning, let me show you based on definition, church. So church, the original word was this. Now, this is not, don't somebody like, I hated foreign language class, David. Please don't bring me back to the you don't you don't have to remember this word, but this was the original word. But I do want you to know the definition. The original. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to build my church. And and they start talking church and they start assembling church. It hadn't happened before. And now, here is the definition. When I ask you, what is church to you? There is a right answer. Just let that sink in for a moment because I know we live in a culture where, like, no, the answer is whatever I want it to be, David. No, no. There is a right answer. The right answer is called out ones. So you notice it isn't about a steeple. You notice it isn't where someone has to wear a robe or wears jeans. It isn't about the style of music, whether it be hymns, rock and roll, or polka music, which that does exist. See, many of us thought that church is about, and we begin to talk preferences, when you need to know in the Bible It was a group of people. See, when it says called out ones, you know, ones being people. People. It was was never intended that you and I would define church based on what the building looked like or didn't look like. Based on what you and I would wear or, or how we would dress or how we would sing or style. It was never intended to be that. You and I, when I say you and I collectively, capital C, we made it that. And like why I would say the majority of things in life, why marriage is easy on the first day and gets a little bit more difficult as you walk through it. Parenting, the easiest day is when you're in the hospital and you have nurses taking care of your child and you leave and go like, Oh no, what do we do now? See at the beginning, Sometimes it's easier and more, and you and I got to go back to the beginning and be like, so, so why church? And see, this called out thing indicates there's a responsibility. You, I think you're catching that. To be called out means that you're, there's a responsibility at hand. It, it's not a group of people assembling to, to have preferences satisfied. It's not just a social group where we all believe the same thing, so it just feels good. No, church, by definition, is a group of people who are called out. There is responsibilities, and that is what I want to talk about. I love how country music has put onto the table, that's my church. Well, my church has a my responsibility. Now, this is a horrible sentence. My mom is going to probably call me on this one. I understand that's not a great sentence, but I think it helps you and I understand where we're going. My church. If you've ever said, that's my church, or my church is, or that's where I go, or that's mine. If if there's been some sort of ownership in it, my, that's my church. My church, when you say my church, you are saying whether you knew it or not, that is the group of people that have been called out and I have a responsibility in this. See, church was never intended for you and I to just chill and be entertained or just to be satisfied. Church has a responsibility So what I want to do is share with you what I believe according to the Bible, not according to David, by the way, not according to any denomination or tradition, according to what I can find in the Bible, there are two primary responsibilities of every person who says my church, okay? There's two, and you got to pay attention to both. It's not one and two. It's not one before the other. They are both equal one hand, the other hand, they are equal. The first responsibility, my responsibility is to mature my relationship with Jesus now, you need to know, I chose those words specifically to articulate what the Bible says. See, some of you are like, it's not David's responsibility. Are we are just, I want to make, this is not Fountain Springs Church's responsibility. This is personal. So for those of you who take notes, you're like, you're like okay, my responsibility, this is personal. My responsibility is to mature my relationship with Jesus. Some of you are like, oh, I thought that was yours, David. We'll get to that. See, when you look at church as being called out and you have responsibilities, first and foremost is to consider your own relationship with Jesus. It needs to mature. Now, now let me show you, again, back at the original church, how they were maturing their individual relationship with Jesus. I'll show it to you in Acts. This is like, if you want to like study the original church, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, most of you have got caught up already on the apostles' teaching and the prayer and the meals and the, yeah, yeah, that's great. You missed the word that we need to talk about that word. I gotta highlight this word because we've adjusted the intensity and meaning of this word. So, you gotta know all the believers, the church, devoted themselves to the things that are listed out. That those of you who like lists, my wife loves lists, and we'll highlight them accordingly. And, and many of you have these to-do lists each day, like here's what I'm going I'm to conquer today or champion today or do today. And then the, uh, Lists are good. I know, we'll go through the list. Don't worry. We'll go through the list. But the word I don't want you to miss is devoted. Don't get to what you have to do before you get to the attitude you're going to have it with. You got me? So Devoted. In the original language, again, yes, we're back in foreign language class, the original word was constant. They saw devotion or devoted. They saw the word constant. If you're like, what does constant mean? You just look it up. Constant is a powerful word. It's, it's not random. It's constant. If you want to know the difference in my interpretation... Is we've moved the word devoted, it used to be constant. Now we would call it occasional because we mix in occasional with our intentions. We're like, hey, I am, I'm in on that as often as I can be. I've got intentions, and, and, uh, but, and that's not devoted. Devoted is constant. And I would tell you, uh, devotion has become diluted. That's why when I preach, I can't just jump to the list first. You and I have to understand how the original church saw this. When they saw the things they were supposed to do to mature their faith in Jesus, they saw it as we must constantly do this. Not randomly. Occasionally. When we're in the mood. Or just during the school year. We'll go. Okay, Uh, Acts chapter 2. Let me go through the list now. All the believers constantly put into their lives, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Good job. I'm teaching right now. You did it. You may not have known you were doing it. It may be accidental someone invited you or convinced you or tricked you to come to church. But, but when you look at what the original church was doing to mature, to develop, to grow, their relationship with Jesus, it started with the teaching where they would take that teaching. So, okay, apostles' teaching. And a fellowship. You're like, I don't know what fellowship is. Fellowship is what they call a churchy term now, but it's, it's, it's community. It's spending time with each other, not just sending messages to each other. Like face-to-face. You're looking at me like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like face-to-face, let's, let's hang out. Let's spend time with each other. Let's have conversations. Let me encourage you, you encourage me. Let me challenge you, you challenge me, fellowship. That was one of them. And the and sharing in meals. Come on, some of you are like, that's a part of this deal, sign me up. Yeah. Meals? You mean that, that's being a good follower of Jesus, maturing my faith? Yeah, where well, they would not just like spend time together, but they would have a meal together, and I think we all get this, those people you have meals with, the relationship begins to go to a good place, a deeper place. Now, I want to point something out. You notice it says sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. If you're like, what does that mean? That means the Lord's Supper's communion, when they would gather together in each other's homes, they would have communion together. Some of us have been taught that we can only have communion inside of a specific church building when a specific ordained person leads you in it. Uh Uh-oh. Do you see that the original church didn't wait for the big corporate church to tell them what to do? They said, hey, we're going to hang out and we're going to have meals together. We're even going to talk about the teaching from the weekend and we're going to have communion together. Can I free some of us up? If you're a parent, you can lead your family in communion in your own home. You can, if you're married, you can put that in your own calendar and you no longer have to depend on the church to mature your own relationship with Jesus. Catch the last one, prayer. This is not an afterthought. I want to point that out. Just because it's at the end of the sentence doesn't mean it's less important. It's in the sentence, so pay attention to it. Yes, they devoted themselves with constant teaching and and constant spending time together and, and constant having meals together and communion together, but they constantly prayed together. So let me say something that some of you might think is heretical. If you're like, what's heretical? That means crazy. I think too many Christians are having too many Bible studies. I think Christians ought to pray more. See, many of us have stopped talking to God and asking God to intervene because we're so bent on finding more information. When he's like, would you just talk to me? So if you've ever like, I can't lead a group, David. I can never lead a group. I can't be a part of a group. That's like the spiritually deep people. And and I don't know much about the Bible, so I can't go. I think more groups should say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together. We're going to have a meal together. We're gonna have communion together and we're gonna pray. If you do that, by the way, you just walked yourself into being the church as it was first designed. Yes, you should study the Bible. For those of you who are like, he said the Bible's not good. No, the Bible is amazing, it's the inspired word of God. But some of us are so caught up to the point that we don't even grab a hold of all of these. We partially do. We, we say, okay, I'll go to church once in a while, and I might occasionally pray when I'm desperate. That's called partial responsibility. It's, it's when you're only taking bits and pieces of what you and I are responsible to do as church people. It's when we partially do it. And just to clear the air, partial responsibility equals irresponsibility. Let me help you understand. Some of you are like, what? Let me, uh, okay. Let's apply partial responsibility to school attendance. Let's say, you know what, I'm going to go to school part of the time. Well, you're going to go to school for the rest of your life then. Because you're not going to pass. If, if you try to apply this to marriage, like, you know what, we're going to celebrate and, and talk to each other and engage each other a, a part of the time, just on holidays. You won't be married very long. How about Parenting. If you're like, well, I'm going to feed them, that's about it. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. That doesn't work. How about work where you show up a part of the time? You get fired. Partial responsibility also leaks into our own relationship with God, especially being a part of the church. Church was not intended for you and I to take partial responsibility. And some of us have been doing that. So let me ask you what I would consider a very deep heart question. Who is the most devoted to your relationship with Jesus? Because some of us are dangerously just involved partially. And if you're involved just partially, then I just want you internally in your own head, who's the most devoted, who's the most constant regarding your relationship with Jesus? To help you understand this, if you would say Fountain Springs Church is more devoted to your relationship with Jesus than you are, then you're going to find yourself in a place someday where Fountain Springs Church is not deep enough for you. If your parents are more devoted to your relationship with Jesus than you are, there's going to be some tension there. Same thing with marriage. So that's why I ask the question, who is the most devoted to your relationship with Jesus? If you wanna know the right answer, it's supposed to be you. And To get into this devotion part, this constant part, what does that look like? I'll show you an equation for those of you who are math nerds. It's information plus application. That equals maturing. If you're like, David, okay, if I'm responsible to mature my relationship with Jesus, what do I do? You take information and you add application. You do something with it, about it. You press it into life. And that will bring you into this maturing. Not, you're not perfect. You're not going to get everything right, but you're going to be maturing. Here's the problem. You and I typically only grab one. Most church people grab the information one. And we become information-hungry people to the point that whoever is preaching needs to preach it in a way that you've never heard it before so that it becomes real and good to you. We become so information-hungry that eventually the church is no longer deep enough for you because they're not going deep. And I would tell you, it's only because you stopped in the shallow end. See, information is designed to be applied. If you do not apply the information you know, everyone else becomes your problem. And many of us, it's not that your church isn't deep enough, it's that you haven't been mature enough to apply what you know. Let me caution those of you who call yourselves Christians. Let's stop calling churches not deep enough. Because if you want to know about depth, depth is more about what you apply than what you know. Jesus said, oh, you want me to sum up the whole Bible and everything in life? Okay, love God, love others. When you master that, then look for something deeper. When you say something isn't deep enough, you say that everything you know about God and the Bible, you have mastered perfectly. Don't be that person. How about the other side, the application heavy people? are we like I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just gonna love people. Well, um, that's good that you love people. Love people. That's good. Um, the problem is, is they need to know why you love them. And information is critical. A church should always preach what's in the Bible. Should communicate the information. Remember, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's critical. But don't be a person that has decided to pick on one of these because that's not maturing. I told you there's two. Let me go to the second one. My responsibility is to introduce people to Jesus. Not just to mature my relationship with Jesus, but it's to introduce others to Jesus. And if you're like, so what order? There is no order. This is at the same time. You and I, right now, no matter how much you know about the Bible or not, are supposed to invite and introduce people to Jesus. If you want to know how Jesus did this, he said, all right, disciples, I know you don't know what you believe and you don't know what you know. You're not sure you even believe in me. All right, go preach. Can you imagine that? Like, hey, what are you gonna preach on? I have no idea. Do you know the disciples didn't have everything locked in when they started preaching? Just kind of figure it out, develop the faith. Stop thinking you got to know the whole Bible before you can start applying the Bible. My responsibility is not only to mature my own relationship, but it's to introduce people to Jesus. You need to know how God sees this whole introduce others. It's in John three sixteen. It's very beautiful. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Most of us like eternal life. That sounds awesome with God. Let's go to heaven. Sweet, God loves me. Amazing. Don't miss the powerful word. Everyone. That's why as a church, it's not only our responsibility to know about Jesus and to mature that relationship, but it's to introduce other people. Summarized, everyone is someone Jesus died for. Everyone. I, I, I learn a lot from John Maxwell and he said it a little bit differently, but I think this helps us understand John 3, 16. Everyone, every, everyone is someone Jesus died for. Every person God has ever created, he wanted them to know he loves them. He wanted them to be in a relationship with him. And many of us are like, I get what you're saying, David. I'm so glad that, that God's given me grace and mercy, and it's so awesome, and but it was intended to be personal enough that you would share it with others, that you would invite others, that you would tell them and introduce them to Jesus. And I have to admit to you, I grew up in the church and I never made it personal until. Katie and I were at a campground in rural Kansas. Now, many of you have been here long enough, you're like, you were camping? I was in a cabin. So we were, we were at a campground in rural Kansas and at that time, we had, we had just one kid, Hayden, he was about four. And so nighttime came, and it was time to, for everyone to go to bed, so we went into our cabin, it was a small one, there was a, a little bedroom, and, and then just an open space, and Hayden was at the age, and it was actually best, uh, and, and, and he was a roamer, uh, to give him the bed in the bedroom to shut that door and let him just be in there, and Katie and I would use the pullout couch. Some of you who don't have kids, you're like, that's horrible, just be a parent, you'll learn. Uh, and and, and that's, so that's the decision we made that night. And so we put Hayden to bed, closed the door, and she and I just watched TV and talked. And, and, and then we went to sleep. And, and, and many of you know this. Sometimes you're restless when you're in a new environment, especially when there's kids around. And in the middle of the night, Katie got up and went to check on Hayden. And uh, she opened up the door, and, and he's not in the bed. So she's looking around, and eventually she turns the light on because she's like, I don't, I don't know where he is. And what she discovered was he wasn't in his room. So then she, she went out to the other part of the cabin and was looking and couldn't find him. Turned the light on, woke me up. And she's like, do you know where Hayden is? I'm like, what's the right answer? What's the right answer? Um, no, is he, he's in, his, in the room. And she's like, he's not in the room. So I got up and we, we, I went into the room because I was like, she probably just missed it. Just being really open with you, okay? (laughs) And I look under the bed. He's not under the bed. I look behind the door. He's not behind the door. look on the other side of the bed. He's not on the other side of the bed. He's not in the covers. So I go in the other room and look all around. Can't find him. Look in the bathroom. He's not in there. And then it hit. If you've ever been a parent or grandparent that realizes that your kid or grandkid is lost, you understand the adrenaline that starts pumping. We couldn't find him. So we went outside. It's pitch black. A friend walks up to us and says, hey, you guys okay? We're like, no. We don't know where Hayden is. He's like, well, I think God just woke me up to come help you guys out. So I'm like, oh, no, what has happened? We look all over around the cabin for our four-year-old son in pitch black, knowing this is not good then I remembered that we had spent the day at the pool there at the campground and then my emotions really started amping up and I ran over to the pool hoping to not find them and I didn't find them there came back going, what in the world do we do? Do we wake everybody up, freaking out? And, and you understand, I'm just losing it. And I, I really just felt like it was a thought, it was, it was God, I believe, saying, hey, go check out the cabin again. And I'm like, I already, okay, fine. And went back into the cabin, went into the room again, looked around the bed, he's not there, looked behind the door, he's not there, looked in the bathroom, not there. I'm like, what in the world? And then I just stared at the pullout couch, the bed, you've seen these before. And I'm like, it's impossible for a human being to be under one of these, but, and I looked under, and there was our four-year-old son. Somehow had woven himself underneath the bed and was asleep as you can get. I was not angry with him. I cried. Because our son was, was there, not somewhere else. And I remember resolving in that moment as we put him in his bed, went back to sleep. But as I sat there staring up at the ceiling, I remembered and something I've never forgotten that I'm his dad. I would never stop looking for my son. I don't care if the next morning had come. I don't care how long it would have taken, but I never would have stopped looking for him. And that's when God began to shape something in me. And as the years passed by, I learned in that moment that I think that's what God wants the church to do. God wants the church to refuse to stop looking. And I grieve that I myself have had moments where I stopped looking for people who didn't know who Jesus is. And I was so focused in my church, making sure the music was the way I liked it, making sure the sermon was good, making sure they had incredible coffee. (laughs) But sometimes in the midst of church, we get caught up thinking that church is about preferences, but it's about what God loves. God wants the church to refuse to stop looking. And it makes me think of this analogy. Church is not a cruise ship. It's the Coast Guard. Now, I recently was on a cruise. Someone called up and said, hey, David, would you come talk to pastors and spend some time with pastors on a cruise ship? We'll pay for it. I was like, yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) I'll pretend to ask my wife what she thinks, but yes, yes, we will go. So we went on the cruise ship and everyone forewarned you about a cruise ship, about how you need to lose 10 pounds before you go because you're gonna gain 10 pounds and it's true. So we went and learned that the greatest thing about the cruise is not like going to the Bahamas or the stuff, it's the food. That's the part. It's permission to eat as much as you want. And we went to dinner and and we learned there's a waiter that came and said, hey, I'm here to serve you all week long. I'm like, this is amazing. He gave us a menu, said this menu's gonna change each night. What? And he said, all right, here's what I need you to choose. is an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. I am like, well, how much is that going to cost me? He's like, oh, it's, it's, it's paid for. It's free. I'm like, this is, this is heaven. <laughs> so I ordered the appetizer and the entree and the dessert, and it was brought systematically as I finished the one before, and it's like, this is amazing. Then the next night, I realized that other people were doing different things, where they would order two appetizers. So I was like, I have a question, sir. Am I allowed to do that? Or are they on are a different package or something? Like, am I allowed to do this? He's like, sure. I'm like, okay. So the third night, I ordered two appetizers. By the last night, I am not ashamed to tell you, three appetizers, <laughs> two entrees, and three desserts. <laughs> Actually, let me full disclosure, the last time I gave him the dessert menu back, I said, yes. (laughs) Yes. Then Katie gave me the look. I said, I mean, okay, I'll pick three. (laughs) But what I got to tell you, though, uh, that's not what church is supposed to be. That's what cruises are supposed to be. Churches are not where you show up and, and make sure that the room they have prepared for you is perfect. And when you go to dinner, that you make sure that everything is perfect and that you have everything that you want to and even more than you want. That's, That's cruises. Church is more like the Coast Guard, where we go looking for people who are lost. We get involved in people's lives, whether it's their fault or not, that they are lost. Church is where we have responsibilities, not just to mature our relationship with Jesus, which is amazing, but it's to introduce others. It was never intended to be a luxury moment where all preferences are satisfied. And we all need reminded of this. Paul, Paul who started over 14 churches, some say 20, but he started a lot of churches so we can give him credit that he may have known what the church is supposed to be about. He wrote a lot of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Here's a little bit about him. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, if you want to know how I pastor, by the way, this church, I am free of your demands and expectations. You should want me to be free of that. My heart, well, I'll show you. I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all. Any and all. You know, that's another sort of word for everyone. Any and all, in order to reach a wide range of people. This is for all Christians. And then he amps it up. I did all this because of the message. He made himself a servant to all people, saying, what do you need? How can I speak Jesus into you? He did all of this not for his own popularity or his own means. He did this because Jesus died for us to save us from all of our sins, to give us hope for our future, to actually be able to spend eternity with him in heaven. The message, the good news about Jesus. He did all of this because of Jesus. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Church, Christians, do you want to be in on it? Or do you simply want to be catered to? My responsibility Your responsibility is to introduce people to Jesus. Have you owned that? Has that become so personal that maybe your own son or daughter, husband or wife, they are not lost, but someone's son is lost. Someone's daughter is. Someone's spouse is. Someone's boss is. And you and I would crave in the moment of being desperate that the Coast Guard would come in and say, we will not stop looking. That's what the church is about. That's our responsibility to mature our own faith. Not to depend so much on the church that we no longer depend on God, but also to introduce others to Jesus. So John three sixteen. let me bring it back up again for this is how God loved the world. He did what you and I would probably not be willing to do. Give His one and only Son so that everyone, everyone in the Black Hills, everyone in the entire state of South Dakota, in our great nation, in the world, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So we are now postured as a church for a moment where you can take time that you'd mature your own relationship with Jesus, and you introduce others to Jesus. It's Easter weekend. Easter weekend is the weekend that people are willing to go to church who would never be willing to go to church, and Easter weekend is one week away. It is Easter weekend that you and I have an opportunity we don't always have to walk out of relationship with Jesus and to introduce others. So I am going to call on you, church to be the church like you have never been the church before. Where it's not about a cruise, (laughs) it's about being the Coast Guard. Because Jesus died for everyone. So I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for Easter weekend, that God would do the impossible, that he would gather people who hate church, and that he would do miracles in their lives. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes? God, we thank you for giving us another chance because that's what really has just happened. I confess to you, God, that I have days where I want the church to be about what I want the church to be about. And I am so sorry. God, I pray that you would give each of us a fire to never stop looking. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, God, I ask that you take hold of Easter weekend. And God, I pray that you will fill every one of those seats and that you will fill them with folks who are either in love with you or who have been invited to hear about you. God, we ask that you do your will, not ours. For your glory, not ours. God, I pray that you will just do miracles. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.